Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, I'm Bob. I'm here to tell you about my near-death experience. I'm, as it relates to my near-death experience story, how I would introduce myself to you is that I'm primarily a father. It's always been a a goal or a part of my life to be a father so and that stems from my background my own father had passed away at 41 so i didn't really get a chance to know him he had a heart attack and so that kind of set in motion you know growing up uh, with a stepfather and not knowing my own father that one day i would be a father and so it's always been kind of an objective not objective but a goal or a desire of mine to be a father. And um, so I have a full life. I'm not just a father. <laughs> uh, pretty active, goat farm. I surf. I've uh, been in aerospace for almost 40 years. Uh, so a pretty well-rounded life. Three beautiful sons. They're all grown and three grandsons. So um, that's kind of me uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> I kind of knew this was coming. That's sort of the weird thing is, you know, for almost a decade, I had uh, a sense that something was up. Every time I take a business trip or get on a plane and go somewhere early on, I was like, I don't know why. I just sort of felt this sort of premonition that, that something was going to happen. And so early on, you know, eight or so years back, I got a trust and a will set up for, for the kids and, just kind of always had this creepy feeling like when I would go away on a trip that I had to get stuff done. And so sort of race forward to fall 2019, something else I, I usually do every year for my birthday in the fall is I get a physical, go to the doctor. For the last couple of years, the doctor told me my blood pressure and cholesterol was not looking so good. She wanted to put me on meds. So fall 2019, I she said, it's time to go on some blood pressure meds. We'll start you off. And I said, well, I'm going on a business trip. So I don't want to be out of the country. I was going to be out of the country for six months. So I didn't want to be trying to manage my blood pressure meds in a foreign country. So I asked to put it off and I would just start when I got back. So of course, fall 2019, I come, the trip gets delayed. I don't leave until uh, February and pandemic hits 
<laughs> and so uh, when I came back, the country was an entirely different place. And uh, the thought of going to a hospital, I basically avoided the doctor at that point. You know, from fall 2019, I missed my 2020, 2021, 2022 doctor's appointments for my physical. And I kind of, I was, I felt I wasn't well. Um, I'd taken a few more trips. And in January of 23, which is like nine months ago, I uh, flew out of state for a one day meeting. I left late Sunday night to be there early in a Monday morning. And I, uh, I went into the office for uh, some a one day meeting. It was planned to be back on the plane in the early afternoon and headed back home. And uh, while in a meeting, uh, stand-up meetings around hardware, we talk about stuff. In a meeting, I felt this pop and burn across my chest. Well, <laughs> I knew that this was it. At that moment, I was like, well, this is the business trip. This is, it's really happening. And it was kind of surreal. All I could think of doing was getting to my phone, which I left in another lab, to message my kids. I went to the next lab, got my phone. I have a group thread with the kids, but I, I just messaged my youngest son. I said, something's wrong. That was it. Uh, my coworkers found me sitting in a chair, looking at the ceiling with my eyes open in a puddle of sweat. I didn't we didn't know it was wrong at that moment, but what had happened is I had a ruptured aorta, which is the vessel that comes out of the top of your heart, the artery or whatever it is, comes out the top, makes a horseshoe turn. There's a main artery that goes to your brain and one to each of your arms and down to both of your legs. And just on the inside of that turn, they call it an A section or whatever, that ruptured and I was bleeding out internally and I guess it clotted or something, and that's what got the blood back to my brain. I came to, and I was surrounded by coworkers, and they're asking me, uh, you know, my name, and do I know where I'm at? And all I could think of was, oh, I must have fallen asleep. My chest hurts. I was really embarrassed, and I was like, I have a plane to catch. And I just told everybody, you know, actually, I gotta, I'll be fine. I got to hop on a plane. <laughs> I wanted to leave. And they said, uh, that's fine, but how do you feel? And I said, well, my chest hurts a little bit. And they said, well, how else do you feel? Are everything okay? And I said, I, I really feel fine. I think I need to just get my stuff together and, and head home. And they said, but you're sitting in a puddle of water. You know, I looked down at the floor and my arms have been draped to the side. And I guess I just sweat a lot of liquid. There was just a puddle of sweat on the floor underneath me. And uh, they said, well, we called EMT. Actually, they're in the lobby right now. They're on the way in. And why don't you let them check you out before you hop on the plane? If dropped back to fall 2019 and not wanting to go to the doctor because of COVID. <laughs> it's totally out of character for me is that there is no way you would get me to go to a hospital or to EMT or nothing. So it, I thought it was odd 
My behavior at that point was really weird. It didn't feel like myself. I was so compliant. I don't know why I was agreeing to any of this stuff. So I just said, you know, sure, okay. And EMT guys came in. They checked me out. They said, your blood pressure, pulse, everything looks great. But, you know, the sweat and the chest pains, let me get you out to the truck and check you up a little bit more. Anyways, they talked me into not very, it wasn't a hard conversation because <laughs> I, I knew something was up. But they got me in the truck and then they got me to the hospital, which was 10 minutes away. The other thing which was really amazing is that my coworkers did not put me on the floor and try and do chest compressions or CPR. They would have killed me more. I mean, because I was bleeding out internally. That would have been the wrong thing to do. And they didn't. You know, they left it for the EMT. I clotted and came back. I had blood in my brain. But they... The other thing was the EMT guys were driving by the office out front. <laughs> so they were right there. I mean, I was running out of time. This is the thing that killed John Ritter, the actor, uh, was a ruptured aorta. 1% of people, I've learned since then, 1% of people that have a ruptured aorta survive. 5% of people that go through the emergency surgery survive. So I'm a one I'm percenter. I wish it was the money kind, but... You take what you can get. <laughs> but the the EMT guys were out front driving by. So they came right in. They got me, got me to the hospital, which was 10 minutes away. A hospital that has a cardiac institute and a one of the, like one of the best heart surgeons in the country. So oh God. <laughs> Sorry. I was really lucky. I got him just before lunch. I don't know if he got to eat lunch or not. I didn't get to ask him, but <laughs> they wheeled me in. The whole process was amazing. I actually wrote a commentary uh, on the exit, the hospital. They asked, how did you do? <laughs> and I said, well, before this, I didn't trust the healthcare system. I didn't trust doctors. I didn't trust any of this stuff. But you guys have restored my faith in the process, you know, the from the ER to the exit, I've never been treated so good. Anyways, the ER guys got me in. It was so quick. They got me into the CT scan. I was wheeling back from the CT scan, diving it back into the room. And the nurses were taking me back out because he had already seen the CT results and said he wanted to. They CT'd the top half of my body. They saw the rupture. And I guess it can also rupture down your leg. So they wanted to do the bottom half. So I went back for the bottom, came back in, and he was waiting in the room. He said, um, we don't have a lot. Of <laughs> You've had a ruptured aorta. We need to do surgery right now. So um, we need you to sign some release forms. And it was all quick. I signed some forms, one signature <laughs> on one piece of paper. So there must have been a stack of paper somewhere else that I didn't see, but I totally believe that the one signature was good enough. And then they asked who my emergency contact was. And I, I just told them my brother and I was only unable to lock my phone and handed it to the nurse. So they found him on my contacts list and called my brother. On the way to the hospital though, in the, uh, in the back of the ambulance, I was messaging everybody on the stretcher. I was family, my brother. So they all knew what was going on, kind of. I said, I'm going to the hospital. I don't know. 
what's wrong, but you know, if I didn't tell them chest pains, I didn't tell them any of that. I didn't want to worry anybody. I just said, I'm going to the hospital. I'm in Washington. I just, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be late. So <laughs> anyways, it was pretty, pretty easy because the whole process, I was very calm. That was the thing that was seemed so weird from the time that I woke up when it ruptured, when I was in the office, in the lab, and I, and I came to, my whole demeanor was strange. It was just so sub subdued and not like me to trust that process without getting excited about it. But I just, I just knew, somehow I knew that I can trust the EMT, I can trust the doctor, I can trust the hospital. I really could trust them. They all were outstanding. There was no time after they... And they, I signed the paperwork and I handed him the clipboard back. I was already IV'd up and I was unconscious before I went through the doorway and then I was out. Uh, this is the, the part that where I, uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily, I don't you say you wake up on the other side, but for me, it was very, it was different when I came on the other side of this thing back here, I was concerned because I sort of felt like my experience was not like what I had heard. I went, I went on, uh, I was concerned because it didn't seem normal <laughs> that it was in reverse. I was leaving the other side and returning back here. And I was leaving a place that was, there's not, I can't think of any words to really describe describe it. I mean, there's things that, that could that we could equate to it, like you hear like the singularity or like uh, all knowing or knowledge. I felt I was leaving a place that was there was a, a sort of a, a a soft, warm amber light, and it was rushed, and everything happened at the same time. Like from the moment that I was aware that I was not in my body, and that all the way to the point that I, I came back. All of that sort of like happened all at once. It was like this accelerated thing. It was just like, boom. But as I, you know, I say come to or awake, was, was aware, was aware of the other side. It was that, that there was this transition. I was leaving a place that I had been for, like lifetimes, like a long time. And it was, it was really unsettling to, um, because I felt like I was being forced to leave this place that like I knew so well and everything made sense. And it was just like, I didn't see an old guy in a white beard. So I was concerned when I got back, right? Like I didn't see God. I didn't see grandma. I didn't see my, uh, my mom. So I was worried that I didn't see uh, anybody. I didn't meet anybody. I didn't talk to anybody, but I was leaving this place. Most of it is just was all an understanding or a knowing that everything made sense. It's like I understood what life meant here, but I can't, I didn't come back with an answer that I could tell you that's what it means. But when I left there, it all made sense. And I felt like I was going it was allowed to be aware of the transition and returning, but I was not allowed to remember the lifetimes. It felt like it was their lifetimes. I wasn't allowed to recall any of that. 
I wasn't told, but I was just aware that I needed to return. I had to finish and I had to finish really, really strong. Um, the other side seemed very, joy doesn't sound like the right word to define it. And there's like, there's no words that really define, you know, the context of like what completeness or happiness or joy. You know, I told someone when I was trying to explain it, uh, that, you know, it's kind of like a math problem. It's an equation. It's perfectly balanced. Everything made sense. You know, both sides of the equation, there's no rounding errors. It's absolutely perfect. Everything made sense. And this life makes sense. And it made sense over there. Uh, there were no questions. You know, I didn't get to go say, you know, hey, God, or, or the singularity. You know, I want to know about this. <laughs> there was none of that. So, Again, all this happens so like like at the same time, but if you were to stretch it out in sort of a serpentine path, it would be that I was leaving, transitioning from the, this other place that I, is really difficult to try and explain. And I was aware that you know I, I was facing sort of down, flat, like it would be laying in a bed, but I wasn't. I was in this space that was all dark and black. There, I couldn't feel anything, and it was like like floating. I felt like I was facing one direction, but I could see behind me as I was leaving behind me. But I wasn't looking that way because I really I couldn't see either. But there was a tunnel, like the like the end of all the people see. You know, it's all black, and you see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's like it was behind me. I was leaving there. And it was like, it was like, it was rushed. It was like this rushed experience, like, oh, it almost, it was like, it was kind of hasty, almost as though there was a surprise, like, oh, your body's alive. You got to go back. You know, you need to go back. And it was this rushed thing. And there was an awful lot of excitement that I was going back. And it, it seemed like there was just like this, this, not this sounds so corny but like cheering or like just like you know go get him you know it's like this rush of excitement that I was going back and I didn't feel it you know I didn't feel the excitement about going back I didn't want to go back this is the part that is is really puzzling is that I didn't I didn't know what I was going back to I didn't remember any of this and when I think about how important my sons are to me and that I was somewhere for lifetimes and I did not know them. I did not remember them. I didn't remember my family. I didn't remember any of this. And that this transition of leaving this other place that was so familiar and full of this unexplainable whatever and that transition where... This is why I think it, it's it's like I was reversed. People say they because I've been listening to the some podcasts, but they say you know they leave, they get a life review, they go and they see gold buildings and all that. It's like I didn't see that. I got the reverse. It's like I came back in reverse, and as I'm coming back, I got a life review on the return, and it was like a re-download of where what I'm going back to, and. It, it was hard to take in this. The very first feeling was I felt really guilty that I'd forgotten my life. Uh, I felt really bad that I 
forgotten the people I loved. This is what I thought was so wrong about the experience. Like, how can I forget this, you know? But then, you know, as that memory came back, that's the, that's, it's this transition of returning was that it's like memory of here supplanted the memory of there. And it was like, all I'm able to grasp is this transitional state and that it's like it was a rewind of my exit when I left, must have been like when I left. So it was like I was coming back through the way I came. There was a lot of things I remember, not a lot of things, but the things I remember were, and no one told me, I I understood that you have everything you need to finish. And I felt very confident that I've got whatever I need to get the job done, whatever it is. That's the other thing that has been so perplexing is I didn't get like a message like, go do this thing, you know? (laughs) And I think it's probably because I speculate that maybe it's because I would go do it so I could go back. (laughs) You know, I would just go, if I knew exactly what it was I'm supposed to do, I would go do it. Not that I don't want to be here. I think the first physical sensation I had in that transition going from there to here was this sense that, you know, looking behind me is this, of course, I'm not looking behind me, but I see this white end of a tunnel behind me. And in the tunnel is, there was the silhouette of one figure. It wasn't God. It was someone who knew me there and there were others that were like at the fringe of the edge, like they're all peeking over the edge of a barrel. And they just seemed so goofy and happy and excited that I was going. And the first sensation I had after being aware of what I was going back to was that the only way I could equate it is that sometimes I'll work in the yard on the weekends uh, with the animals and stuff, and I just get filthy you know, cleaning stalls and all this stuff, just really dirty and come in the house and get cleaned up, take a shower, get all nice and clean. And then, you know, planning to go, go out and do whatever. And so I take extra care, you know, clean under the nails and in the ears, squeaky clean is that I felt super clean. Like, you know, I had been super cleaned and then I forgot that I had to go back down to the barn for something and I didn't want a dirty clothes and I slipped some dirty clothes on the same clothes I'd been wearing. That's what it felt like was that I was super clean and I just slipped into this back into this dirty body. And that's when I started to feel like this, I was aware of my body around me, uh, not entirely, but it just, I suddenly, I felt ill <laughs> Uh, I felt heavy. I could feel tightness or pain in my chest. I couldn't move. There was a breathing tube in my throat. And I was aware of my body again. And it was there. And then it was like it subsided for a moment. And then I heard some voices. I heard a nurse talking about uh, transfusion. She says, it looks like your blood's too thin. We're going to have to thicken it up. I was probably taking too many baby aspirins or whatever to try and get through my my poor health. But I don't know where that conversation happened, if that happened 
surgery prep or post. I, I haven't bothered to query the doctor uh, for any of that, but not that it matters. But that was that conversation. And then I remember hearing the ICU nurse come in and she she called me by my, by my name. <laughs> she called me Bob as opposed to Mr. Proctor. And once I heard her voice, I heard it constantly. She constantly talked. She used to told me everything. So she was having a conversation with me. Oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And I'm doing this now. I'm doing that now. And it was, it was really reassuring because I was in and out. I didn't quite know what was going on. I couldn't see anything. Everything was dark still. At one point, I couldn't breathe anymore. I still had the tube in me, and she noticed I didn't pull the tube out. And pretty short, seemed like it was short after they pulled the tube out, they got me onto my feet. I still couldn't really focus or see anything. I don't know why, but they got me on my feet and made me walk. I guess I was covered with tubes and all that stuff. Uh, made me walk a short distance. They said I was going to go to the nurse's station, turn around, came back. I guess they were swapping beds out or something. I still couldn't see a lot. It's interesting is that two people, I don't want to mention any names, but two people in my life that have been you know, difficult were the first two people I talked to uh, waking up. Uh, the nurse had asked me and once I'd gotten settled. I still really couldn't see. I think I could only see a couple feet in front of me. She said, uh, is there anything I can get you? I have a lozenger. And I said, my phone. Um, and she got me my phone, and it was fully charged. <laughs> oh, there's another thing, is that coming back in that transition stays from the before I came back into my body was that I remember, it was like I was having a conversation with somebody about, you know, the deal. Like, and it was like, oh, no, it's okay. You're going to have everything you need. And then um, I said, well, because uh, I was aware now of who I was going back to and still talking to the other side, uh, in essence. And it was the, well, how long have I been in a coma? How many years have I been in a coma? I guess I thought I was in a coma. And it was like there was laughter. And it was like, it was like oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> it was strange. It was like, I don't find this funny. <laughs> but... I didn't worry about it. <laughs> and so when I was coming to and I got my phone, I realized, no, I've not been in a coma. I'm coming out of surgery and I don't know what they did to me and I don't know what was wrong. So, and I didn't know for at least a day what had happened. So to the extent of what had happened. So, but the, the phone call, she handed me my phone and I looked and I saw some messages on it, and the, there the two most recent messages were from a couple of people I probably needed to talk to. So one of those has since passed in the last nine months, and one of them not yet. <laughs> Anyways, that's some of the work I have to do, I guess, <laughs> is, is mend some fence somewhere in my life that I don't want to get into. <laughs> but anyways... <laughs> I messaged back that uh, I could talk, and I uh, I talked to uh, both of those people for uh, one of them for twenty minutes. After that, it's the road out of ICU and into recovery. Yeah, they got to get you out of the hospital, I guess, in five days or a week or so. 
once they got me on my feet, I didn't stop. I didn't like to lay down. I was walking the halls. I did not want to go to the convalescent care or what do they call it, post care, because those places are pretty rough. My brother and my sons flew up right away and um, they were here that they were there in Washington for a week uh, with me. And one of my sons stayed with me for a month. They wouldn't let me fly. So to keep me from going to, you know, whatever the care is, they call it. I don't know if the, where they take care of you and how you're better. It's not convalescent care, but it's, I didn't want to go to a rehab facility. So my son stayed with me. We got a hotel and he took care of me. And uh, we had a couple of uh, scary incidents. I was on a lot of blood pressure meds and um, my blood pressure collapsed too low. I started losing my vision, which is really scary <laughs> when you can't see. And I'm thinking, this is going to be all right. So I'm going to have to deal with this. I'm going to be blind now. But I got everything I need to take care of it. So I, whatever I need, I guess I'm going to be okay. So we went back to the hospital and uh, spent the day there. I uh, got blood pressure meds checked, all kinds of stuff. Uh, my son was taking me on walks because the doctor was like, I can stay, keep walking. So every day we were going on walks. But that day we'd gone to the hospital. I'd lost my vision and my blood pressure was really low. And we'd been there and we'd left hadn't eaten all day we stopped and got a bite to eat and uh, we were headed back to the hotel and i said you know I, i've got to walk i could see again my blood pressure dropped and for some reason that caused my vision to go um so we're coming back and i said you know i need to go for a walk let's stop and go for a walk and he'd been taking me to this forest that's in the area there's a little forest trail community forest trail we'd been going farther and farther on the trail, uh, not very far, because I'd just been sawed in half and stuck back together. <laughs> but while we were headed back to this place to go for our regular hike, as we were driving up, I had this, I didn't hear anything and I didn't see anything. It was, it was a conscious connection to what was unmistakably what I was connected to when I left my body. And when it first started to happen, I was like, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying again. <laughs> Something happened. This is it. I'm going to, but it was, it was this, which is crazy because I did not see anything, but it was like in my mind, it was this explosion of like color and this like chaotic joy. It was like this, you know, maybe, maybe it was a stroke. I don't know, but it was just like this. And, and I was just overcome with emotion and I felt rejuvenated, just like this rejuvenation. Maybe it was the fact that I hadn't eaten all day and we just got something to eat. I don't know, but it was just this rush. And it was just as we were pulling up to the, the pullout and we parked to get out of the car and I was just on fire. We did the entire loop. It was a mile and a half. I was going, prior to that, I was doing like, you know, short distances, like maybe quarter mile at most. It was just, it was strange. I was just felt like lit up and I charged this trail and my son at one point, he's like, dad, you should need to take it easy. And I said, I, I, I can't, this feels, I'm, I felt alive. And it was, 
you know, more so than I was, I guess. It was pretty amazing. It was, it felt like a visit from the other side after being back. I don't know, know, maybe I needed it. Um, But there have been some, you know, that first few weeks, there was, you know, some ups and downs physically that were challenging. I did return to work. Recovery time was going to be 12 weeks or more. Those first few weeks, I felt like I was living in an echo, like I shouldn't be here. This isn't right. You know, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be alive. I found out, you know, the odds and what happened. Something was not right. So it was kind of an echo. So I was in a hurry to get back to work to try and get back to a sense of normalcy. And I'm really glad that my manager let me come back to work. (laughs) They haven't let me fly yet. (laughs) So I probably won't get to fly, but for a while, but I got back to work and the first few weeks of work were tough, but um, I had a conversation with the surgeon, the doctor that uh, saved my life (laughs) and a post-op. So by the way, I was out of state at a hospital that's out of my network, right? So I go to this hospital, see a doctor, and he fixes me up and sends me back home and kept me there for a month, wouldn't let me fly. But I'd gone to see him a few times and every time he just got sick of me, you know, oh, thank you so much. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just so, you saved my life. You know, it's this amazing thing. And he says to me, and the last time I saw him, probably he'd figured it would be the last time I would see him because I was headed back. He said, look, it's like the end of the movie, Saving Private Ryan. You don't have to find the cure for cancer. You don't have to save anybody. Just go be the best you. You know, so, you know, sometimes that's what, I guess, you go back around and you just get to be the best you. Uh, I'm not going to find the cure to cancer. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that. I was also shocked that when I came back and was able to get my first doctor appointment with my doctor back here in L.A., was that the doctor comes in and says, wow, you're a miracle. That guy saved your life. You know, that he goes into, that's the thing to kill John Ritter. And he starts to explain it all to me. And I'm like, you know, I know all this. I've, <laughs> I've heard it for, I've taught myself this for weeks. And he said, then he tells me, you know, you're lucky that didn't happen here. Because if it did, we wouldn't have touched it. It's too high risk. We would have sent you to a third party hospital and you would have died in transit. <laughs> That's uh, a bit of honesty. So I'm looking to change my insurance provider <laughs> during open enrollment. But it just kind of highlights the risk that the doctor took and the risk that the hospital took and the cardiac institute that I was lucky enough to land in. Somebody was looking out for me. And somehow I knew this was coming years ago. I mean, I prepared a will and a trust. I was mentally prepared. I mean, every trip I hop on a plane, I'm thinking this could be it. I just, I had the feeling. And sure enough, it really did happen, which is shocking. But I, I came back and it happened in the right place with the right doctor. And a lot of things went right. Uh, any one of those things could have gone wrong. My coworkers, the EMT. I could have said no and went and got on a plane because my blood pressure and heart rate were fine. I might not have made it to the airport. <laughs> I mentioned my my dad had passed away at 41. 
of a heart attack. We don't know. It was a chest heart attack problem. My brother also had an issue at 57. And my uncles have all passed cardiovascular issues. So uh, my current health plan decided I needed some genetic testing that I could find out if my kids are going to inherit any bad cardiovascular things genetically. So we've done all that work and found out that um, it's not a family problem. It's just a lifestyle problem. As long as my kids and grandkids manage their stress and uh, diet, they should be okay. <laughs> I don't know if there would be an end message. There was something I did take away from from that transition period. There was a lot packed into that because it all happened like at the same time. I mean, I tried to unpack it in a in a process from fading away to because it kind of is but it all happened boom at once but there's a lot of things that the feeling of the transition from my body from being clean and putting on this dirty body and all those other experiences but the i i got a sense that um that it's really important to to love the people in our lives around us love and forgive so yeah